Please turn to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We are in our second week of sermons, four sermons on miracles in Mark. And I invite you to take one of these. You don't have them in your bulletin today, but we passed them out a month ago. And on one of the little booths right out here, we have a card called Upcoming Sermons. I'm going to refer to this as our sermon card, and it gives you the sermons that <clears throat> we plan to, to preach to you with the text of Scripture from now until the end of August for you to look ahead, hopefully so you don't look and go, okay, I'm going to skip that one. I'm going to skip that one. Hopefully it's more like, so I can pray for this, and I can be, in, I can be reading in Mark, and I can read in the book of Daniel next month, and, and I can be praying for Brian as he preaches the word, and as he comes back as a missionary, this Jay. So we are here in Miracles in Mark's house, Mark 3, verse 7. If you, have a black, if you need a Bible, grab one of those black Bibles in front of you. It's on page 838. By turning there, it will help. Mark 3, verse 7. I want to talk to you about seizing something. Seize the day? Eh, not really. That's not what I'm talking about, though I'm going to talk about it in a different way. Maybe seizing someone or being seized by something. I remember when Mary was born, I seized her, grabbed onto her. I was delighted in her being born. And I re- remember when my daughter Grace, probably four or five years old, was throwing a tantrum and we thought she was demon possessed. <laughs> She's off to camp ministering to kids. Praise God, there's hope. And. <laughs> And we had to seize her and strap her in her car seat and put her in the garage while she cried out her tantrum. And we seized her and bound her to keep her from hurting herself or our ears. (laughs) And we, we seized somebody to take them to prison or jail. You seize someone who is in physical distress and needs to be picked up and carried to the hospital. But I want to talk about seizing in another way too, and that is being seized upon or being controlled or bound by something. What is seizing control of your life? Are, is it video games? Is it the joy that comes through social media and giving a report and hearing, seeing the likes and the comments from your friends or family? Is it popularity from others? Is it having a decent career or the approval of your peers in the workforce? Are you being seized by money, by pleasure, by sex and drugs and drink or food? Is it be, are you seized by the desire for a family to, to grow up, to be mature and healthy and successful? Are you seized by Jesus? A small portion of it, but I want you to see all of it. 
because I want you to see a few aspects of what Mark is doing in this passage. Mark 3, verse 7. Last week we saw Jesus casting out demons, but we saw him healing ill. He took our illnesses upon himself. He healed a leper, and he healed Peter's mother from a fever, and he was healing pretty much anyone that would come to him, and he touched them, and they were healed. Now, verse 7. Jesus is getting quite popular by now. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him. Note that word crowd. You're going to see it a lot. From Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon, meaning people are coming all over. It is is a gathering. They want to see this teacher with authority who is doing miracles. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him. For because the crowd, lest his disciples, they crush him. The crowd would crush him. Verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean, okay, unclean spirits, think demons. It's another term for demons. And whenever the demons or unclean spirits pressed around him to touch, or I'm sorry, the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them to not on the mountain, and he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him, and he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve. I'm not going to name them all. He appointed the twelve disciples. Now look at verse 20. Then he went home. Probably the same, it might be the same home that he was in in chapter 1, which is Peter's home, because he doesn't have a house. He went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. This is really interesting. And when his family heard it, they, were, they went out to seize him. For they were saying, he is out of his mind. Hmm. Verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, these are the big shots from Jerusalem, they're the men of authority. They were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub and by the prince of demons. He casts out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Truly, truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has ne- never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. 
and his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he's answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about as those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. These are the words of our Lord. Father, I pray that you would give us your word right now and help us to see Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. I want you to see in this passage three things about seizing. I started with seizing control. And I asked you, who is seizing control of you? And in this picture, we find three things about seizing that I I hope you'll see with me. And I do think they help us see something that's very important that Mark, who put this gospel together through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and probably the aid of the Apostle Peter, I want you to see that word seize in verse 21. See that verse? See that word? His family, or literally it just means his own. So it could have been his family. It could have been some people close from his hometown and even could have been his disciples a little bit. But his own came and they went out to seize him. I want you to think of that word seize. Our, Our English dictionary defines it as to take hold of suddenly and forcibly. And I want you to see three important truths that relate to Jesus. And Jesus will not be seized or controlled apart from God's will. There is something for us to see this whole passage where we read this and Mark wants us to see that the crowds are trying to seize and control of him. And we see that even his own or his family tries to seize control of Jesus. And at the very end, Mary, his mother, and his brothers tried to seize control of him as they come to his his house where he is at. And we find the scribes in some ways trying to seize control of him as they accuse him of coming and doing all these works in the name of Satan. And we see clearly that Jesus is such a person that will not be seized and controlled apart from the Father's will. Will Jesus be seized? The answer is he cannot be seized apart from God's will. He comes home, his family hears it, they try to seize him, and they were saying he was out of their mind. What's going on here? What is he wanting us to understand? And they are seeing this Jesus who is doing and saying things that just is not fitting their worldview at the point. They knew Jesus was special. They knew Jesus was chosen of God. But Jesus, can you just stop this? It's getting out of hand. And you say, what's getting out of hand? If you were to go back to chapter 2, you found that Jesus was teaching in a person's house and they dropped this man down from this roof, a paralyzed man, 
And Jesus looks at and he sees the faith of all the guys that lowered this man. And Jesus says, does not say, do you want to be healed? I'll heal you. Jesus sees their faith and he goes, son, your sins are forgiven. What? He wasn't coming for forgiveness of sins. What are, you, what are you talking about? Only God can forgive sins. A little further on, Jesus is out and, with his disciples and they come to him and say, why are you not fasting with your disciples when everybody else that's religious are fasting? Jesus basically says, because I'm the bridegroom and when you're with me, why would you fast when you're in a wedding celebration with the bridegroom? It doesn't make sense. And everybody who are Jews at that time would know, wait a minute, the Old Testament talked about bridegrooms being God, that he's, he's speaking the gall he has to talk that way about himself. That's crazy talk. And then a little further, they're plucking corn on the Sabbath, and he basically says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And now he's casting out demons, he's healing, and there's a mob. I think that Mary and the his brothers are embarrassed by Jesus. And I think the scribes who come to question are threatened by Jesus and his authority that's coming upon them. And the disciples have been called on that mountain to go and preach the gospel and cast out demons. And who knows what's going on in their mind. And we see here something that's true that Jesus will not be seized control of apart from the will of God. Now, I want to ask you this. Are you trying to seize control of Jesus in your life? He won't, he won't let you, he will not let himself be seized control of. We maybe, we seize, can try to seize control of Jesus. And what we try to do is we try to take Jesus and we try to leverage Jesus to get what I want. I want happiness, so I'm going to go after Jesus. But when that's not working good, well, Jesus is not so interesting. I want to get purpose in my life, so I'm going to find Jesus. Fulfillment. For them, it was, I'm going to find healing. And for us, it might be, I got this thing. I don't know if I'm going to get well. Oh, Jesus, I need you to heal me. Jesus can heal. But Jesus will not be seized control of. He will not be leveraged. He will not be manipulated. Jesus is the Son of God who is in control of all things. Some people try to seize hold of Jesus to, in order to get wealth. And Jesus is going to clearly make, that, make the case that that is not what he is about. Maybe they wanted to take control of things because they were embarrassed. Are you embarrassed with Jesus? You, you love Jesus in a certain way, but when it comes to some of his commands... Some of his commands just seem out of date. Some of his ways and his laws or his instructions as they're carried down just seem a little bit out of control. I mean, Jesus talked about hell more than any other author in the entire New Testament. And Jesus says, you will not control me. I am the Lord. I, I am the Son of Man who has come. I speak with authority. And though you may seize control to me, I will not be controlled. And I want to say this, 
apart from my Father's will, because we're going to read in John chapter 18 that they seized him and they bound him and they took him off to be tried and then killed, crucified on a cross. And Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord and I will lay it back up again. No one will take it from me apart from my will. And he is completely going to obey the Father. Jesus will not be bound by your desires. We cannot manipulate Jesus. We, cannot be, we better not be embarrassed by him. And in these stories, we see the real Jesus, the Jesus who heals, the Jesus who forgives, who calls disciples. He is the Son of God yet he will not be seized hold of and controlled or manipulated. So let's, let, that's point one. I want you to see this Jesus that way. But secondly, we see Jesus doing some seizing. We see Jesus doing some seizing. When, when you go through the book of Mark, which of all the four Gospels is the most fast-paced book in the, in the, of the four Gospels, and as you get through this, Chapter 1, you have Jesus casting out demons. His very first miracle was a man came in the synagogue with a spirit, an unclean spirit, a demon. And Jesus, that demon just quivers and bows the knee at Jesus because he knows he's special. He's the son of God. And Jesus casts him out and he obeys him. And then we get to chapter 3 here, and he's doing that constantly. He's casting out demons. We found that in the, this first passage I read here, that whenever an unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. They knew he was, the, he was from God, he was the Messiah, and they were no match for this Jesus. And so Jesus is coming here, and what I want you to see, number two, is that Jesus has seized and is in control of Satan and demons. So while in the first point, Jesus will not be seized or controlled by us or anybody else apart from God's Father's will, Jesus has seized and is in control of Satan and demons. You have to understand that to understand what's going on in Jesus' life and ministry. I, I want you to see something in in verses 22 through 27, he, he has those scribes come to him and says, Jesus, the only act, notice they don't doubt that he's doing know it, but they say, you're not doing this from God. You're doing this with the power of Satan. They're, they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, unclean spirit in him, where in reality, when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was led by the Spirit and when he was baptized, he was anointed in a special way by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was the power at work in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And they were saying, what the Spirit's doing is actually the work of Satan, and that's blasphemy. Blasphemy. I, I want to just say a word here. You might be reading this and you go, Daniel, I can't help but look at those few verses, 28 through 30. It's the unforgivable sin. It's the sin against the Holy Spirit. They'll never have forgiveness. They're guilty of an eternal sin. I don't believe that we should look here and go, oh, did I do this? Unless you are seeing the works of Jesus Christ in your life and you're saying Satan's doing them. I think this is a special type 
of rebellion and sin that is happening in Jesus' time against Jesus as he is so clearly showing the power of God. Okay, what I want you to see here is they come to him with such obstinance and such antagonism, and they are so threatened, and they say, you're doing this in Satan's name, and Jesus gives them three parables. Two of them are almost the same, and he says, that doesn't make sense. First of all, a kingdom that's divided against itself, it won't stand. And how could a house, second parable, how could a house be divided itself and actually continue on? And then the third parable is the one I want you to really see here. And it's in verse 27. Have you ever noted this verse? It's a real, really helpful verse to understand what Jesus is doing for us. He says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then, indeed, he may plunder his house. Let me give you an interpretation of this. Jesus is saying, here's the explanation of what's going on with all these demons, unclean spirits that are confronting me, and they are just cowering in my presence and my authority. He's saying, Satan, who is the leader of all demons and authority, uh, spiritual authorities of, dark, of unclean spirits, Satan is like the leader of that household. And no one can plunder his household unless he is bound in a certain way. And it has to be a stronger man than him. Jesus is saying, I'm the stronger man that have bound the strong man. And I'm now plundering Satan's house. Satan was, in, Satan was causing tyranny over all these boys and girls and men and women. And it's ending because I'm here. I'm on, the, I'm, on the, I'm on the scene and I someday will be on the throne because I'm the king. And I've plundered the, the strong man's house because you see, I'm the stronger man. You see what's going on? And, and, and the scribes would say, I, I don't see. And the disciples are blurry-eyed and saying, I kind of see. They're confused. The question is, do we see? I, I want to stop here and just what we learn here from the gospel of Mark is very clear is the supernatural is real. Jesus talks to unclean spirits and they listen throughout Mark. They respond and recognize Jesus. They terrorize men and women and yet Jesus is conquering them. We must understand that we live in a world around us that is invisible but it's just as real as this pulpit. There are spirits in this world that we cannot see. And they attack and they torment. They accuse and they want to destroy God, Jesus and all his works. That's why fairy tales that we read to our children have more reality than in, in them than books about Tom and Sally selling lemonade. They're more real to the world because we live in a world with unseen present where there is an unseen reality that is there we live in a world of magic but it's not it's it is of the supernatural it's the spirit there the holy spirit there are angels this is not a sermon all of those things but the bible speaks with that worldview and we live so too often as 
as almost naturalists, ignoring that there are the supernatural realm that the scriptures so clearly teach. And the gospel of Mark brings us right into this reality. Naturalism is a false belief by many unbelievers that says that all that exists is that which is natural and material in a biological order. There is no personal God. There are certainly no angels and demons. Only matter exists. Only that which we call nature. And unfortunately, Bible-believing people are often practical naturalists. We live in ways as though we don't believe it really exists. Both the power of God or the power of the evil one. In Mark's gospel, in the scriptures as a whole, but Mark's gospel shows us the supernatural by looking at the spiritual world of demons and the devil. And so I want you to understand the supernatural is real. And secondly, I just want to say this, we alone are no match for Satan and demons. In, this, in the story of the, the passage we read in Mark, not just chapter 3, but you'd read it in chapter 5, where there's a man that's possessed by a demon and he's by the caves, or the, the man possessed in chapter 3, there's a boy later on that Jesus casts out, that the disciples try to cast out and they can't. We see that we alone are no match for it, but, and, and therefore... We, we do sing like Martin Luther wrote in that famous hymn, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe, that's, our, that's Satan, our ancient foe, he doth seek to work us woe. Another way of he, he, he seeks to destroy us and to bring evil on us. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. And yet we read, but we sing, did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Because I want you to see this. The devil and demons are no match for Jesus who bound the strong man, Satan. We don't know when he did this. It could have been when he was in the wilderness In chapter 1, we find him in the wilderness that the Spirit led him, and he was tempted by the devil for 40 days, and then he came out. And in those days, the Satan, at least three different types of temptations, he said, turn, as he was fasting, you're hungry. Why don't you speak and turn these rocks into bread? And he said, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by the very word of God. He was saying, and Satan will tempt us to say, Look to your own provision. Look to, look to your own supply. Be dependent on yourself and not other on God fully. And Jesus said, no, I will not have it. I will trust in my Father for all good things. Satan also attacked Jesus and said, why don't you come up on this pinnacle? And, if you, and he says, God promises to protect you. So why don't you just jump down and your angels will... will will protect you. See, remember the promises in the Old Testament? Satan's, Satan's using scripture to tempt him. And Jesus says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You read this in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 4. We, we are tempted to t- trust, tempt God. God tells us to obey him. God tells us to follow him. God gives us all of his instructions and, 
and his commands, and we tempt him by ignoring his word, by ignoring his people, ignoring his ways, and going about our own business and doing it without him. We tempt the Lord our God, and Satan loves to whisper lies that we can live on our own without him. And Satan also took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, and he said, see all that you have out there, or actually he took him on, a high, on the highest mountain, and he said, see all that you have out here? I'll give it all to you as your kingdom. You won't even have to go to the cross if you bow down and worship me. And he says, you shall worship the Lord God and only him. Satan wants to attack you and me to worship other things other than Jesus Christ or God. You see, we find in this passage that Jesus seizes control of Satan and demons And we must understand that as Christians. In fact, if you are here this morning and you you are not yet a child of God, I call you to know this Jesus. I'm going to call you to it at the end of this passage. But these commands, these promises of Jesus bound Satan in a certain way. He's He's still at work in this world. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, according to 1 Peter chapter 5. But we know in some ways that he has been somewhat defeated and he will be ultimately defeated at the end. Pastor Jay preached an amazing sermon right before Easter, the week before Easter, as he pointed us to Colossians chapter, Colossians chapter 2 as what Jesus on the cross, he triumphed over Satan on the cross. I guess we could describe what Jesus did to Satan, whether it be first in the wilderness when Jesus was tempted And Jesus defeated Satan. And then when Jesus went to the cross and Satan wanted to destroy him, and in reality, Jesus destroyed Satan on the cross. And what Jesus will someday do to that great dragon, according to the book of Revelation, in the end. I guess what we could say right now is, where are we? I mean, the question would be asked, where are we? Jesus has done this, but he hasn't fully done it. Satan's still at work, Pastor Daniel. You said he's still tempting us. In fact, Ephesians 6 says we are to put on the whole armor of God in order that we might fight against the schemes of the devil, his fiery darts that come after us, can remind us or provide a good picture of this. And on June 6, 1944, uh, the Allies accomplished a great victory. On that day, called D-Day, The Allied forces landed, as you know, on the French beaches against the fortified defenses of the German army, and they successfully breached their defenses and won a battle, assuring the long-term victory for the Allies. When they made that landing and secured the beachhead and were able to start mounting troops after troops, tank after tank, they knew the war would be won, but they still had a year to fight. There were still battles. There was still death. There was the Battle of the Bulge. There was different offensives that were taking place. And although the battle went on, it, was the be- it marked the beginning of the end for the Axis powers in Europe. And so Jesus explains to the scribes that they're, they're living in the last days of the empire of Satan. As he has come, he has plundered his house because he is now in control. You see, Jesus is the stronger man who has bound the strong man. And the key for us as Christians is that we are to live in light 
of Jesus' decisive victory over Satan. It's authority of Jesus in your life to, to help you. You have been given the armor of God, the truth of God's word, the shield of faith that is, is forged through the word of God to build our faith. You have the sword of the spirit. So I say, what does all this mean? How, how does Satan attack us today? I mean, we saw that he was tormenting and maybe causing, causing different physical ailments and insanity in, in Jesus' time. What does he do for us today, man? Well, we must understand that Satan comes and he accuses us of our sin. He's called the accuser. It, there, there's a difference between being convicted of sin and then you repent of that sin and you confess it to God, and we should. And then that continual barrage of, you're, you're no good. You can't continue on. Who do you think you are? You said you were saved, but you're just a hypocrite. Why don't you just give it all up? And it, it suffocates our spiritual life. Satan wants to continually step on our necks where, where Jesus says, I've had victory. And it probably is not Satan. It's, it can be spiritual powers that are at work in our lives. There's a phrase called the fiery darts of Satan in Ephesians chapter 6. Gus pointed this out. He had studied this passage and he pointed this out that fiery darts were used to not just hit an enemy, but hit locations surrounding an enemy. Could you imagine you're, you're fighting and then fire comes and it hits the bridge you were fighting on? Now you have to worry about your enemy and you have to worry about your surroundings and it freaks you out. Have you ever felt the attacks of the enemy maybe through the stresses and trials of your life that divert your eyes from Jesus to the trials and circumstances and now you're panicking? And, and God says, but look up to me. I'm in control. I'm in control in this cancer. I'm in control of this financial crisis. I'm in control of this struggle at school or with your parents. I'm in control of these things. Satan wants to attack. We, we don't know always what's Satan and what's just general the world and circumstances. And we could add to this that we read a Bible that God, through his, through his sovereignty, brings providential trials and difficulties in our lives in order to refine us and to strengthen us and to shape us and to be the men and women that God intends us to be that we would never grow in part from these trials. But we can say that Satan does attack. Have you experienced that? Like that harassment on your faith, harassment on your confidence in what Jesus has done for you. See, Jesus, he sees control of Satan and demons. He's in control. And as we go through the book of Mark, we see that he will reign over all, and he has authority over all, and we must have confidence in that. Lastly, I want you to see in this passage, though, that Jesus seizes true disciples who are seized by the word and will of the Father. I want you, Jesus seizes true disciples who are seized by the word and will of the Father. So Mary and the brothers come. They're standing outside. They're calling Jesus. I think they're trying to control him. They're, they're frustrated. They're, they, they're confused by what's going on with Jesus. 
And the crowd's surrounding Jesus, and they say, to, hey, Jesus, your, your, your mom is here. And Jesus teaches us something really important. Looking around, he, sat, he said, Here are, here's my family. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. He was not dishonoring them, nor was he saying, you want to get, earn your... As we read through the rest of Mark, we see, though, that he's saying is, you want to know the mark of those that have truly been gripped by me, seized hold of by me? It is they've been seized hold of by the will of the Father. They, a new life comes into them. They see me in a different, with different eyes. They see me not just as the one that's going to have all authority, but the one that's going to go to the cross and to fulfill the Father's will, and they're going to follow me in that. They're going to take up their cross and follow me. Have you been seized by Christ? Have you been seized by his word? We as disciples are marked by those that say, Jesus was seized for me and taken to the cross, and he did it on his own accord, and he did it in obedience to the will of the Father, and he obeyed unto death, and he did it for me, if I would but believe on him and repent of my sins, and he has now captured me, that I might love him and do his will, because I want to follow him. It takes, that's a miracle when that happens in our hearts. And he promises, he does this work through the preaching of the gospel. And I, I, has that happened to you? If you are a disciple of Jesus, if you have repented and believed on him, we are, we are his family that we are growing to love and to do the will of the Father. We have been seized by him. We are bound by his love and his love makes his commandments and his will our delight. Slowly and surely, maybe not overnight, but by his work in our lives. And I want to invite you, if you are here today, and you do not know the forgiving, saving work of this one who would then, at the end of this book of Mark, surrender himself up, not to be seized apart from his will, but seized according to his will, in order that he might die for the sins of all who put their trust in him. If you do not know the forgiveness that's in him, if you do not know what it means for him to take you and, and take control of you, and you accept his being your Lord, your commander, your king, I invite you to him today. I invite you to bow your knee to him and trust in him. No, count the cost because he says, you must follow me and take up your cross, but it will be infinitely better than all that you leave behind. I give you eternal life. You will not manipulate me, but I will control you unto joy and life everlasting. Life eternal. The gospel of Mark is about this. The gospel of Mark calls us to this, this Jesus, completely control, binding Satan over all powers and authorities, who then goes and serves as unto death, making us his people. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would capture us Capture us members and visitors. 
Capture us who call on your name and those who have not yet called on your name. Capture us once again. Oh, Father, I pray this week as we, as we face the fiery darts of Satan, the schemes of the devil, the lies. Oh, God, I pray that we would do that and declare and live in the light of what Jesus has done. We would declare the authority of Jesus and we would trust in his name and we would throw off lies with truth that's in your word and we would ask for help from one another when we are discouraged or dismayed or broken or failing. So Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus who was raised up on the cross and then was raised to heaven and sits at your right hand. Help us to sing worthy, worthy, worthy. Help us to come and adore him. Help this song that we conclude with be the expression, the appropriate expression of our faith. Or even if we don't have the full faith, an expression of I believe but help my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.